We're going. We're rolling. Hello, everybody. We are about to record another episode of Modern Guild. And last week was episode nine. I thought it was episode 10, meaning that this week is episode 10. We've reached our one-tenth of a centenary. Is there a word for that at all? A celebration of 10 years or something? Or 10 of anything? Um, uh, Probably not. Decadence. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've Our podcast yeah. has been alive for a podcast decade. Yeah. As pathetic as that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Let's give ourselves a pat on the back. I feel good about myself. I'm going to do both sides as well. Yeah, I have nice. gave myself a total of six pats. I don't know how many oh. I did, but... I did I'm going to do sides. two more on each side, so it's ten pats for ten episodes. I have, like, legit superstition about this. I actually started watching... Um, before me and Hayden started recording, we were talking about, like, uh, Faust, and I started watching this. Um, I wanted to get more insight into Faust, and I'm not particularly like smitten by the idea of reading texts from the 1300s um, that are like steeped in convoluted poetry. Yeah, uh, <laughs> don't blame you, bro. <laughs> so I was like, "Fuck it!" I like opt for the movie version um, and got this 1994 Czechoslovakian, Czechoslovakian, Czech, Czech, whatever, Czech version of faust that was like so early eastern european cinema that i couldn't really tell if it was a story or whether it was just some dude being followed around with a camera yeah right nice love that (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah so the whole thing was about superstition um and that has that like classic eastern european superstition vibe to it where you're just kind of a little unsure about, you know, whether you're summoning the devil through your actions. Does Eastern European film involve a lot of, like, paranoia because they spent, you know, like 60 years behind the Iron Curtain? Is that Um, maybe why? Maybe, man. I don't know. I don't know enough about the cultures, but I'm interested enough to try and, like, find out. When I was dating a Middle Eastern woman, which I... I'm very well aware of how different those cultures are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things I found fascinating was like how steeped in mysticism a lot of like her and her community um, were. And like they talked about the jinn. Um, if you were bad or like did things in a particular way, like you might summon a jinn, which is like a demonic Whoa. genie. And they like. Fuck yeah. Yeah, man. It was dope. They like legit had these elaborate um stories and fantasies uh and like you know heuristics (laughs) revolving around like jinn and ghosts and genies and and whatnot that's really interesting i've like never heard about that before i'm not saying that like i don't believe you but yeah that's like fucking cool i'd really like to know more about that yeah right like We've unfortunately done away, I feel, with a lot of superstition and our lives are bleak and dull without Yeah. Well, that like 
again, sort of ties into what you and I talked about as a loose theme for this episode in like the pursuit of rationalism at all costs. Yeah. <laughs> Including your own, like, I guess, spiritual or material well-being. Um, but we can like dive into that a little bit later, I suppose. So your prospects of getting to Australia are looking more and more slim by the day um, <laughs> from my perspective because Brisbane has now uh, been the recipient of a few new COVID cases which have leaked across the border. Um, so that's nice. And we're all kind of just like counting down with bated breath for like that kind of 10 to 14 day period to come to an end where all these new cases are likely going to start popping up. Have you heard much about this in the media? Um, if I've heard any. a little bit. So my understanding is that there's two guys that like jumped the border from Melbourne or some shit and was a woman in Brisbane. Oh, was it a woman? Yeah. So these two, these two chicks were uh, in Melbourne oh. and it has been revealed since, even though this isn't relevant to them having COVID, that they were on like a high-end crime spree going to like Gucci and shit and like <laughs> stealing bags and all that, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then went went to like a party where everyone contracted COVID and then flew back to Brisbane via Sydney because you can still fly from Sydney to Brisbane, but you can't fly from – well, you, sorry, you, don't, you won't get screened uh, if you fly from Sydney to Brisbane – or at least you wouldn't have at the time when they flew. Now yeah. you would get screened because travel from Sydney to Brisbane is banned. So anyway, these chicks like came back to Brisbane and then like lied about their names or whatever and then just like went on like a culinary quest around like the south side of Brisbane just like eating at restaurants and shit <laughs> like with covid. And then this absolute like the ugliest side of Australian society revealed itself when uh, everyone realized that these two chicks had just been like infectious and like having like a really nice social life. So like the Courier Mail, which is Brisbane's like premier bogan newspaper, just like <laughs> doxed them on the front page, just like their names and photos and with like this massive headline saying enemies of the state. <laughs> oh, um, dude. And it you just serious? so happens that these two women are black. So the Korea Mail. When you say black, um, yeah, what what ethnicity are we? Like I don't African know what Australian. Or... To me, they look like they might be African Australians, but I don't want to assume. That, um, but they were definitely like they definitely had brown skin. Okay, cool. And so the Korea Mail like unleashed this like wave of hate, knowing well what they were doing because they're yeah. just like are uh, they are professionals in the fucking market of peddling fear and hatred. Um, and then yeah. presumably in response to the public reaction to them, one of the women has refused to give her like uh, travel details and like talk about where she's been so that contract contact tracing can't be carried out. Jesus. So like in the next couple of days following, a few more cases have popped up. Um, so now like all of Brisbane is just – in like this cloud of paranoia and we're like gradually re-implementing uh, certain COVID measures and all this kind of shit. Meanwhile, Melbourne has declared an official state of disaster, which is apparently one step further on the gradient of misery from state of emergency <laughs> and yeah. have imposed curfews from 8 p.m. till 5 a.m. 
across the entire Melbourne metropolitan area. Victoria has uh, said that face masks are compulsory for everybody at all times. Their like daily case numbers peaked at like 750. Uh, there have been like a lot of deaths now as well. So yeah, it's um That's looking fucking good here, man. Yeah, I'm not getting over there, man. Not this fucking year. Like I'd like to. Yeah. Um, I really want to come, and I fucking cannot believe that like I have a legit opportunity to get over there and everything. Um, and it's just like nah, pandemic. Um, I was, anyway, my personal life aside. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how epic is that crime spree? Holy shit! Oh, it's fucked. It's, Dude, it's rotten, man. Like that's um, fucking mental. Just I can't imagine it. Just. <laughs> You know what's crazy about this to me is like all these weird little stories that are popping up that like we yeah, wouldn't right. have been we wouldn't have the treat of knowing about um, had there not been a pandemic. Mm. Like I don't even know if people did multi-state crime sprees anymore um, and had such rich social lives that they could just like pull off going and ripping off shit, go to some parties, and then swan around restaurants afterwards. Yeah. A crisis really sort of magnifies human stupidity, right? Yeah. I think it just like blows up all of the inherent character traits that we already have, but yeah. makes them so much more consequential. So it's like the same way we're like celebrating essential workers for being sort of like generous or unselfish people. We're like, yeah, that's fucking amazing. At the same time, we're just ready to like publicly lynch someone who is acts in a selfish way. Oh, totally. Um, what's mind-blowing to me as well is, like, that whole, um, you know, when Sexgate happened in Melbourne, just how fucking bizarre that entire story was as well, that mm. people were just... Like, do, do they do that? Is that a normal thing when people would go to a hotel and just fuck the security guards and then leave and go home? Oh, uh, I'd imagine so. Yeah. <laughs> Some people <laughs> have pretty, like, I don't know, loose loose restraints on uh, what they do with themselves which is like not a bad thing it just is if you have covid yeah so I've never felt like more of a square eh? <laughs> <laughs> after uh, seeing all the shit i'm just like oh man i used to think like i love this super edgy existence but um mm. i am such a fucking normie when i see this stuff yeah you are now and i am now but i think like you and me five years ago would definitely um wouldn't fit the normie categorization i would imagine but anyway here i am like trying to validate both of us so we don't feel like we're lame or something <laughs> it feels good to be annoyed. being like before we started the pod we we're having a chat about how trad uh feels good feels very yeah. good to get to like sleep at a decent time do you want to just like explain trad for like other people like me who don't know what that is yeah so trad is like traditional traditional living nuclear family living you know house dog marriage um house being mm. something that you live in that's not like a doped up flat basically yeah <laughs> right um, <laughs> you know speaking of dogs though i have a little dog anecdote to share at the moment um like our greyhound just by virtue of being like you know a human captive 
and raced as an asset for its entire life. Yeah. Is like pretty like traumatized and fucked in the head. And meaning that he gets like really anxious and easily worried about shit or just like can have like a mildly bad experience with an inanimate object and then that like affects him for the next three months or whatever. <laughs> and so like at the moment we have like hardwood floors in my house and we're working with this theory that he like somehow slipped on the hardwood floor and like just didn't enjoy that and is now like genuinely afraid of the floor in our house. So yeah. we have we have two rugs in our living room which he's comfortable to like stand or sit on. But like whenever he has to move from one of the rugs to the other rug or from a rug to the front or back door, it's like a child trying to not touch the lava and he does this like pathetic like skittish scramble across the floor like it's physically hurting him. Yeah. And last night we had the worst sleep because he spent the entire night just standing in the living room on a rug, like not sleeping because he was just like afraid of the room <laughs> and just like whining audibly, like really loudly. Yeah. And then eventually I opened the back door and to be like, man, you know, fuck it, go outside then if you want. And he just like laid on this filthy patch and like eventually got to sleep because he was like not on the floor. Um, so that's trad life, bro. That's the sort of uh, sort of hurdles we're jumping over here. That's so bleak, man. Like I could just imagine his ancestors, you know, hunting rabbit and gorging on their glorious insides. Yeah, like reveling. loving fresh blood and shit. Yeah, reveling in it with the like they're packed, you know, each cheering each other on. <laughs> and poor old Bruce is just like stuck on the rug and doesn't want to get outside. You know, there's so yeah. many um, beautiful like that series is such a great analogy for the the modern man. I feel and totally modern woman um, and modern person. Um, I I was just thinking that yeah. we're two alike. <laughs> I just remember having this conversation with um this guy when i was at uni about how we used to like hunt animals and shit and now at the time we were like studying very basic accounting and how depressing it was that we were like you know getting stressed over the fact that we couldn't exactly figure out what went where in terms of like the various accounting slots and there was a time <laughs> yeah. where we would, like you know hunt animals and, and everything and nowadays mm. there's so many people who are just can't even have a fucking conversation like that's a source of great you know despair for a lot of people especially yeah 100 like, man like they one of the what like a very common meme that i see pop up is the fact that like everyone's socially awkward to the point of barely being able to function now you know yeah i find it insane being served by someone who is sort of like younger than 18 in like a supermarket or a cafe or some shit and just how like retarded they are in terms of how they interact with you and like even their colleagues and like yeah. it's not a knock on them but it's just fucking insane that they've been born into this world where no one like interacts with each other and you and i sound so old saying this shit but like these cats just live on their fucking phones man you know yeah. and i remember even though i was shitty at it when I was working in like a supermarket when I was 15 or whatever, I would like have conversations with these like random adults as I like scanned their shit yeah. and actually like half try to just not be an asshole to them. Um, and whether or not that like made anybody's day better, I don't actually know. It probably didn't because I was 
just uninteresting to talk to. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's weird. Um, feeling as if you're just sort of like an object that these people are interacting with as a part of their job rather than engaging with another person. Yeah. Yeah. Which is very much what it, what it feels like. You know, mm. the, the dynamic now is more like someone will, is an awkward imposition in your life that will serve as fuel for you to go home and like shit post about on your chosen media platform whatever suits your like you know personality <laughs> yeah do you think that how do you think that different social media platforms uh reflect the personality of their users do you think there's like a potential trend there yeah definitely um mm. i think people gravitate towards like how they brand themselves you know yeah we've I think so too. people hard like you're Bully. like like an influencer i'm an instagram check out my gram it's just like yeah you know, here's me front and center, um, where there's like the more socially awkward and whatever you are, I feel like there's just varying degrees of anonymity, ending it like fully anonymous um, online platforms Yeah, that are like I mean, increasingly it... disfunct and disaffected and, and everything. And the content that arises from them feels that way, you know? Yeah, I, I think like the fact that you and I have withdrawn from Facebook, but still really enjoy Reddit, for example, is like, probably evidence of that um, yeah, yeah i don't yeah. quite know how you would like categorize us um, as users <laughs> or people but there is i think yeah yeah i see it as much as i hate it as a function of like being relatively i'm not disaffected by the modern world at all um but i certainly sympathize with it and i see you know those other platforms is more of like a tool for narcissistic self-promotion, which is mm. not my vibe uh, at all. Yeah, you're definitely right about that. Um, and that's why I use Instagram, you know, like <laughs> the three accounts that I have on Instagram are literally all for promoting something. Yeah. Like I have an account for my music. I have an account for like the shows that I was promoting. And then we're in, we now have the Modern Guilt account that I run. Yeah. Which, by the way, is producing some nice moments, I believe. Yeah, get on that. That's fucking dope. That's a good use of Instagram. <laughs> at that count, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was just thinking about something that happened the other day that I won't go into. Did you do much browsing of like, I remember there was a time you were asking me if like about the deep web or, you know, various no. um, disturbing areas. Oh, okay. No, I never got into it. I figured it's just a another rabbit hole that won't actually benefit my life in any way. It definitely doesn't. <laughs> yeah, the only reason I would ever want to use the deep web was is to buy drugs, and that's something that I just don't really do anymore. So, yeah, you know, um, I feel like if drugs are meant to come my way, then someone will just give them to me. Yeah, and that's kind of like how I function. The drug <laughs> just um, drops by and drops yeah, this little bag yeah. off to you. <laughs> exactly yeah it happens regularly yeah. like that <laughs> you'd be surprised <laughs> yeah i feel yeah i have like explored mm. i was kind of interested in conspiracy theories that i'd find on there like um like just fringe i've got like a ongoing fascination with uh bizarre conspiracy theories and that sort of seemed like an area me too yeah right um and i was really wanted to find like the little collectives that were comprised of people actually actively involved in either fringe society or conspiracy theories in some way. Mm. But a lot of what you find is just trash. It's like 
alcoholics uh you know there's that line from the simpsons that has no con i don't even know why i'm bringing it up it has no context here but basically the people that i imagine on the deep web are not like government contractors and um you know leaking secrets of aliens or anything mm. it's alcoholics the unemployable and angry loners and like that yeah is, that's what comprises that in like nine percent of that entire and i imagine a lot of mentally ill people oh yeah like a lot of schizophrenics or people with bipolar I, i'd imagine um yeah. or people who are experiencing psychosis uh and think that the deep web is a place where they can maybe communicate with people who share the same delusions um yeah and the crazy thing is that a lot of people who are not mentally ill probably do share those delusions that just <laughs> happen to be present in the life of someone who is insane yeah um which is interesting. Um, should we transition to this Ray Dalio article that you mentioned? All right, yeah. So yeah. let's gracefully transition to talking about disaffected white males. Um, All right. Who yeah. maybe comprise sure. these, like, you know, online forums. Um, I know they do. So, <laughs> so moving <laughs> on. Um, one of the things I was keen to talk about, we're, we're generally discussing, like, talking about aestheticism and yes we were and everything and i've had this ongoing interest of like what comprises a good life uh for a long time uh, essentially because i'm so like bitter from having gone through the corporate world and what i was told was this the proper life to you know to pursue that a lot of people are the preordained path yeah yeah and finding it hollow and empty and filled with nothing other than like corporate jargon and bad HR meetings and ultimately the destruction of the human um, and replacing any possible personality you'd ever have with this hollow husk of some compliant uh, fucking robot, you know? Yeah, just an asset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the speaking, you know, talking piece of capital that requires food to be inserted into it and that has to be managed like as effectively what it feels like <laughs> so i'm interested in like the exodus from um you know that which i think may be happening in a weird way so ray dalio i've been talking about this for a while as well ray dalio brought out this piece um back in 2016 um and again for anyone who's not aware ray dalio is like a badass hedge fund manager he he yeah, manages something like 35 billion dollars and oh no he's worth like 35 billion dollars he manages i think i think they Far manage more, yeah, 700 billion or maybe a trillion um you can look it up and i mean tell me i'm wrong if you're <laughs> managing 700 billion then you may as well be managing a trillion like what's the difference at that point you know <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> the same principles apply the man makes money is the way to mm. fucking put it. And also he makes money by like studying long-term trends. Um, so he's what they call like a macro investor uh, where he looks at like structural um, deficiencies and how that will affect the market. And then ultimately where to like place money to make money off, off that and produces some really interesting points. So he brought out this piece in 2016, cautioning that we're facing one of the biggest social and political and economic issues of our time um, with this division of the economy that is split into the top 40% and the bottom 60%. The top 40 being comprised of like, basically like what I've heard reference to is the PMC class, which is like professional managerial class, 
or you mm. know them as like accountants, lawyers, and any fucking dickhead virtue signaling uh, on basically like you know most. I don't know. You you'll know the type. We talked yeah. about it in a previous episode. Basically, like any white collar worker who has had one promotion. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If if they're acting snobby and they're dressed well and they work in an office, you might be talking to one of these motherfuckers. Um, <laughs> not that I'm trying to rally hatred against them. <laughs> and there's something I really want to get into that I'll that I hope that I remember at the end of this that I why I think Australia and New Zealand aren't potentially as bad as the States. Um, but anyway, mm. so yeah, Ray splits like the economy into the top 40 and bottom 60. Um, the top 40, so basically a lot of this is since the 1980s. And he's looking at like, and that's sort of where the divergence started to really ramp up, uh, which yeah. is when Reagan was in power. And there was a lot of changes to like unions and um, sort of like the manufacturing base and everything. So since then, the average household in the top 40% has like started earning four times as much as the average household in the bottom 60. Wages, you've, if you're in the bottom 60%, you've basically never made more money than you would have in the 1980s in real terms. So that means like yeah, the actual right. money that you're making has steadily yeah. declined. So you're effectively getting poorer every fucking year that you live like relative to the cost of living you mean um yeah i guess so in real terms which effectively means like if you're controlling for inflation and you're controlling through the cost of goods and everything yeah, right so yeah, yeah yeah so that means like uh apples bananas toilet paper um and you know the cost of every fucking thing around you goes up yeah, and the amount of money you climbing make, yeah stagnant it has yeah yeah so you're getting a bit of a raw deal uh, and if you, you like just that one statistic alone kind of fucks it, like fucks me up a little bit because I think, Oh, it's fucking mind boggling. Yeah, man. Could you imagine growing up and your family just getting steadily poorer every single year, you know? And if you think about like that psychological, uh, study where you're like as good as the people around you and that's your relative, you know, idea of how well you're doing and mm. every single year you're getting worse and worse off. And everything's sort of yeah. bleak. You start to get an idea and understand the, the central picture of what's going on and why people are so pissed off. Mm-hmm. Is they're like getting poorer and worse off every single year. So the top forty now have an average of like ten times as much wealth as those in the bottom sixty, which is six times more than they had in the nineteen eighties. So they, you know that PMC class is way wealthier than they used to be and a lot of that comes down to the fact that they hold assets they hold houses and stuff like yeah that, that i was just gonna say that up. actually yeah like because over that time frame you would have had property being handed down to children and inheritance happening yeah um yeah right yeah and they hold stocks and shit and like that's dramatically gone up whereas mm. the bottom 60 holds dick not actual dick but yeah <laughs> in that regard uh, inheritance tax suddenly makes a lot more sense to me. Mm. Um, I've always thought that inheritance tax or what's colloquially referred to as death tax in Australia is pretty absurd, but that actually probably has a pretty just function when you put it in this context. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, well, because like, you know, if your parents were in that bottom 60 and they died and they handed literally nothing off to you, Mm. um you know and you're just sort of like inheriting the long cycle of um 
bad outcomes then yeah whatever but if you know if you're obviously in the top 40 and and your parents hand down their like three rental properties that they have i don't know if that gets taxed or if it's just like cash but you know whatever that's one of the things that you would hope would get um circulated back yeah of course so this bottom 60 percent, i feel like a lot of people because i remember telling like my sisters about this and they're like oh fuck this makes so much sense why you know, they feel like they're stuck in this continuous vortex of never being yeah. able to escape. And they, so another one, so this is, I'm just basically going to like drop fat stats and then we're going to riff on it. Please do. Yeah. <laughs> so drown me in them, yeah. daddy. So it's like, yeah, depression <laughs> right on your face. Um, those are the, t- <laughs> those are the bottom 60%. Uh, they don't save any of their income, right? Oh, sorry. Like a third of the bottom 60% saves. Um, so two thirds of them are not saving anything. So most people like struggle to raise 400 bucks in an emergency. That's another one that I just saw. And I was like, there's another stat that I saw that like, I think it's 80% of New Zealanders don't have savings of 10 grand or higher, Mm. which is like 10 grand, you know, it seems like a lot for a lot of people. But when you think about the fact that 80% of the population just in New Zealand doesn't, can't scratch that together. Yeah. The States, they don't even have 400 bucks, man. Like every other month, something bad happens and I have to fork over 400 bucks for some fucking reason. You know, it's pretty grim. You're right. It's Um, desperation. I've been there too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Uh, It is, it is fucking desperate and it plagues like your everyday life, dude. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even if nothing bad is happening that requires you to come up with that money, like you think about it every day. Yeah, totally. And it's one of those things that I find there's this persistent level of unhappiness that you have when you don't have enough money to cover Ugh. like some bad shit happening, and you don't fucking tell me about it, it until it goes away, and then you're like, ah, oh, like I'm looser now, you know? Like, I'm yeah, feel absolutely, man. Yeah, uh, which is so awfully depressing um to think that there's so many people right now who are that unsettled living hand to mouth you know yeah i Um, mean like that kind of comes down to the sort of you know manufacturing of scarcity and want uh like a lot of things that we talk about do in the sense that when you are living that marginally you're forced to think a lot about every purchase you make so it's like you know am i gonna buy this like loaf of bread that is like good for me and tastes a bit better than this like cube of flour that costs three dollars <laughs> yeah um or like will i like, make this sacrifice now because there are other material needs that i need to fill or yeah don't need to fill but like am made to want to fill yeah or um, my life sucks so hard and i struggle to get by every day that i'm gonna buy a pack of cigarettes to just yeah exactly right you know just anything to remove me from the bleakness i used to smoke and And when i smoked i was pretty fucking poor and that was one of the things me too bro yeah man right like and it was good it fucking legitimately made me better yeah yeah absolutely like yeah as long as you had some beers in the fridge and a pack of smokes you didn't feel poor yeah right like yeah you know what i mean because that was like your immediate need or want yeah it's almost like you almost use your addiction as a replacement for other material needs or wants. You sort of like, you make that more immediate than other things sort of that are more external to you or further in the future. Yeah. So by introducing 
a more easily satisfiable desire into your life, you know that you can keep ticking that box or like achieving that small goal and everything seems a little bit better. Yeah, that's so true, man. Like it's one of those things that if you get slapped with that horrible $400 life fuck that just happens, (laughs) um, you know that you can go home and you can have a ciggy and you can call, you know, your fucking mates up, have a few beers and just bitch about it. And like you, you feel shitty all the time anyway, but for some reason that just makes it automatically better because it's relief from the pain and mm, horrible no, situation. It fucking is. Um. Anyway, so that's the financial state that has really only gotten worse in the, since 2016 when this article was um published, and that's that's just the finances. Now he then goes on to like this much more depressing um series of stats which is like the mental physical and like a bunch of other different outcomes for this bottom 60 percent are basically horrible and deteriorating all the time um so this the bottom 60 account for the bulk of alcohol uh overdoses drug overdoses suicides um divorces and death rates (laughs) yeah i I can imagine so they're dying they're sick they're addicted and they're um generally fucking miserable uh you know the bulk of the debt that they hold is within you know student loans credit cards and auto loans um which is like a significant portion of debt for the bottom 60 whereas the debt that the top 40 have it's all like mortgages you know so a lot of these people assets. Are, yeah assets and everything um and the fundamental difference is if you give rich people money they don't spend it and if you give poor people money they spend more of it than they have mm. so it's like um there's this desperate uh clamoring to basically fulfill the wants and needs that the bottom 60 have that you know not only are they spending money that they're given they're all automatically being like oh okay now i can like get to this next step um and i think a lot of like conservative and maybe even liberal pundits sort of like look at that and they say oh it's fucking stupid idiots living beyond their needs you know you give them a dollar and they take out 10 <laughs> from the bank to get you know a car loan so financially mm. stupid and it's like I also remember being that poor and not having a car fucking sucked. There are very few cities where you can get by without a car. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Which is ironic in itself because I was actually talking with Francisca the other day about um, the sort of relationship between the birth and like ballooning of the automotive industry in the West and city planning. Oh yeah. Um, in that, and this is just my take on it. I actually can't reference reference this, um, but I think it makes a lot of sense when you think about the idea that in the post World War II boom days, you had the growth of affordable automotive manufacturing in the states, Australia, and Europe, and the UK, which was like a a core part of domestic growth and jobs, right? So. For that reason, you had these suburbs being built on the edges of cities which were spread out because you knew that if you had high-density housing, less people would be buying cars and then you would have less economic growth, That's interesting. Which, which in turn undermines the development of community because you have these massive spread-out residential areas with siloed-off commercial sort of industrial parks or shopping centers meaning that the reasons for you to walk 
from one residential space to another and encounter other people were so minimal that you might only be walking for exercise or walking your dog, but like actual community hubs don't coexist with community spaces, which sort of reinforces this like isolation and fucking bleakness. Mm. But the only place you go to interact with other humans is like a place specifically developed and cordoned off for like economic activity. Yeah. Um, so you yeah. encounter other humans as these sort of like self-maximizing agents or like assets as well. Man, that I feel explains so much. So of all the cities I've lived in, um, I've lived in a couple, uh, mm. lived in a few. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, a city or two. Yeah. 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 I haven't always been stuck in Christchurch. Um, I've always found that the ones with like Wellington was fantastic. And Melbourne had it a little bit as well, where it's just like, they're much more condensed and closer together. And there's a more harmonious atmosphere between people um, compared to like that big social riff you have and just Mm -hmm. rolling, sprawling cities where it's impossible to get to know people, you know? It absolutely is. And everyone's distrustful. It's so true because you're only seeing people when they're like buying shit. And then they just fuck off back home. Yeah. To the and they, you know, they drive from like a commercial center or the CBD in their car, move from their car to their house. So the entire time they're like behind walls or boundaries or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I actually can't remember how we got onto this. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jumping back to some more sad stats, fat, sad stats. Um, so the death rates are rising and mental and physical health is deteriorating for those in the bottom 60%. They make up the bulk of premature deaths, which are up 20% since 2000. Um, They are the biggest contributors to drug and poisoning deaths, which has doubled since 2000. They make up 50% of um, the increase. Sorry, hold on. Oh, yeah. So there's um, suicides gone up by 50% of which they make up the bulk of as well. Mm -hmm. And the odds of premature death between the ages of 35 and 64 are twice as high compared to that in the top 40. So basically you're fucked. If you're in that bottom 60%, shit is depressing and bleak. Um, it is not good at all. It's a very bleak, lonely place to be. It just, it's, it's horrendous. So after I read that, I was ultimately was thinking like, okay, you know, what does that ultimately say? Um, there's also been some other news articles that have come out recently that have talked about, people you know just sort of like bailing on the job market and you know just leaving and not coming back because they just could never can compete ultimately in um this vortex that they find themselves in and escaping it is ruthlessly difficult um Mm. (laughs) so bringing that back to aestheticism is is uh now that I've said all of this, like increasingly difficult, but it's one thing that I've wondered that we're told um, that there's plenty of jobs and stuff like that. And that there's, you know, ample opportunity and more people than ever are going to college and blah, 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 blah. But the stats like this just seem to show that it's nothing other than an acceleration towards um, the hoarding of wealth and jobs by like the top 40% and like, the impoverished bleak outcomes of the bottom 60 where there fundamentally isn't jobs jobs are gone they're gone to fucking china the jobs that do exist like are shit um and they don't pay and they pay less and less every single year you know 
and asset prices are going up. So if you want to get onto the totem, you know, the asset pole <laughs> ladder, that's virtually impossible now, unless you have sort of this like existing head start, like your parents own a house and you can borrow against it and stuff like that. And this really exemplifies this idea that you and I have talked about before, which was first introduced to us in like the Red Scare podcast where they talk about aestheticism being opposed to this sort of dynamic whereby the archetypal villain or Lucifer figure um, sticks to, I guess, uh, a tendency to try and rationalize and make rigid order out of their world um, and like reshape their reality whereby they can, they would prefer to sort of reign in hell and serve in heaven. Yeah. And that like accumulation of assets and the, I guess, figurative and literal starvation of the the majority of people on the other side of their sort of high walls or outside of the ivory tower creates this kind of like desolate population and landscape where sure like they main control i mean they maintain control but they are you know reigning in hell um, oh completely and it's a it's a weird pursuit when you you know and when you think about it that way, yeah, the accumulation of wealth and particularly the maintenance of structures and systems which encourage the accumulation of wealth to just extract more from the majority of people is a pretty sort of senseless, um, yeah, a, a senseless cycle. Yeah. Well, I think the thing is, so you know, when when Trump got elected, a lot of people were like, "Why would you vote against your economic interests?" And I, I don't think that a lot of the bottom 60% are very stupid. No, they're definitely not. Yeah, there's been like a resurgence, resurgence? I don't know if it's a resurgence, but there's been a popularization of like accelerationist theory, which is essentially that people are trying to um, increase the speed at which we uh, hurtle towards collapse. And that's kind of reflected in like some of these other stats. I just sort of like browse down the show notes and realize I actually had one yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll try and sum up super quick. <laughs> oh, no, that's great. Um, and that's like the bulk of the people within the bottom 60 are massively distrustful of institutions. Um, they think that others are trying to take advantage of them. And that's, you know, statistic has just gotten higher and higher as time has gone on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see why. They're fucking dying, man. Like they're literally course, dying. Yeah. yeah, and like, that top 40 are so seemingly happy to just sort of, you know, build their their big gates around all of their institutions, around getting into like the top companies and the gates are invisible, but everyone knows that they're there. Um, yeah, you feel them every day. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And whether it be in like discourse around how you're meant to be acting within society, which I feel is mm-hmm. some sort of uh, extension of these invisible gates, you know, Fully. Um, which devolves into like pointless debates on, on, you know, who should be allowed into what toilet, which is ultimately like a fucking gating of like, you know. Yeah. Of- I think maybe what you're getting at, I've sort of got a similar idea is that progressive or liberal ideals are being like gradually co-opted by the elites so that if you can't conform with those and the black lives matter movement in its most extreme form is a good example then you are again shut out and kept down do you know what i mean that is so 
it. That is completely yeah. it. It's like if you can't conform with this, and it seems to be like these increasingly weird niche issues that yeah like you know whether or not you think they're important it doesn't matter they're so politicized to the point that it just seems to be like this um bizarre surreal like narrative around uh things that don't affect fucking like the bulk of people what affects them is like dude i you know need to get a job um and i don't want to be addicted to opiates anymore yeah (laughs) you know but (laughs) sorry you're not allowed in because you don't conform to these ideals. And it's just like, I definitely think it's, it's, you know, designed to keep people out and shut them out as racists and um, rednecks and deserving of their own uh, situation. Just, and also to be taken at face value to, um to like receive the merit for their actual character, as opposed to how they fit into a cookie cutter definition of how a successful person should behave. Yeah, there was, I think I mentioned it last episode. There was a really good documentary that came out recently. Um, Cause I kind of started this, I guess a couple weeks ago where I was diving into like incel core. Mm. Um, and it all started when I was found that Bjork stalker video. And that was sort of like the prototype, uh, you know, influencer. And then watching that feel when no girlfriend, which is about four disaffected, um, white guys who basically have kind of like just decided not to participate in society um and then linking it back to this which is sort of like the macro view of the fact that like this is a widespread issue it's not some you know little weird niche thing of just a few uh incels hating shit online it's like affecting people throughout the uh you know of all ages and everything and all races to be honest like i think this is more that it's like surprising that for the first time and decades you know white guys are getting the short end of the stick but it's also something that a lot of people Mm. will absolutely be you know experiencing yeah um and i think it's also somewhat of a mm, not sure if self-fulfilling prophecy is the right word or maybe self-perpetuating cycle describes it more accurately but i think when you have people who live in states of sort of despair or light dread they find sort of comfort in belonging because they can't find comfort in their sort of material well-being which drives them to the peripheral or sort of ideological peripheral where you have disaffected white dudes joining antifa and like tearing down statues and surrounding like the cars of white conservatives in the streets and bashing their cars in for no fucking reason or dudes going off and joining militias and drinking in the fucking woods and shooting rifles every day with like a bunch of dudes who just fucking masturbate like 20 times a week (laughs) and the the system succeeds when that happens like you fucking break people's will and they turn into these nut jobs who go and join these fucking groups who don't actually have a realistic sort of i guess way of viewing the problem or scenario or a path to rectifying it yeah And then you have these tribal maniacs just sort of like taking to to social media and fighting like an invisible enemy. Yeah. I love that you brought up the Antifa as well on that because it it isn't just a bunch of Trump supporters, is it? It's like a total... Like it doesn't matter what side of the fucking thing you're on. There's left-wing and right-wing disaffected people, you know? Yeah. And I mean, like, I find myself having to sort of like constantly reiterate the fact that like I do identify as 
progressive and like I align with a lot of progressive ideals, but I think it's really important to be constantly like critiquing your own set of values and like the movement that you sort of most support. And yeah, a lot of these dudes in groups like Antifa or just extreme left-wing activists, I think are just, yeah, like shooting into the sky expecting to hit some like target that's going to like validate them or their movement and then introduce some sort of like constructed false value into their life. Yeah, well, (laughs) this is another thing um, that I found really interesting, especially considering uh, aestheticism. And maybe I'm not sure whether to bring this up before or after you drop that piece on uh, the hunter gatherers. Um, oh no, just yeah, roll with it. Is that I think to some degree there's like a lot of needs that can be satisfied, and at least in New Zealand um, and mm. Australia, uh, and that was sort of made evident during lockdown. The fact that you know no one was really working. Or like a significant people weren't out there making widgets every fucking day, and instead we just had like the essential workforce um, just kind of providing for us. And now I don't know if we like need as much. And there's these other economies that are starting to surface because people are like endlessly wanting, and people are starting to optimize for like attention or you know to be the best windmill fighter on the internet you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah it's like an, shout it's, out don Quixote. yeah yeah it's like an alternate economy that's popped up that it's that see people mm, seem to you're right. think it's like way more um important and i'm wondering whether you're going to see like a a move towards that as people throw away the pursuit of just raw wealth and instead seek influencer status or or whatever i think people already are dude yeah. Like the Gold Coast is a perfect example and Byron Bay of society is where most people live without a lot of money or material goods and but pedal in this sort of false economy that you're talking about of like validation and ways to validate others. And like you have, you know, girls who are sort of objectively attractive to 80% of the population or whatever um, yeah. who don't have much in the way of like material goods or assets or wealth. They're not well off and they might have, Somewhere in the range of 10,000 to 20,000 Instagram followers. So they're not really an influencer, but you have this whole sort of like shit tear kind of fog of people who are just trying to like uh, scramble up that kind of hierarchy to enter the new 40%, which exists in like an abstract social media world. Oh, man. Where, like, you can experience, like, wealth or, like, the gated institutions that are actually of no consequence. And I think, like, that's why social media fucking has, like, infected us like a disease, man. It's like a parasite that's, like, in all of us because it, like, feeds on that thing inside us. Fuck, that's a Um, really astute observation on that. (laughs) I'm just trying to put that in my mind for a second. It's like you don't even need the wealth, really. Like, as long as you can flex um, on your fucking gram you know, and Mm. basically show off that you're living this incredibly wealthy lifestyle um, and you're affluent in time and 
uh, you know, leisurely activities, that's kind of like enough. That is like the new currency. Mm. And then through that, you can, you know, like the other thing is I've noticed that was a really bizarre behavior was that if you're flexing, like you already have sponsors, um, like you've already sold your soul and you're sucking on the fucking advertising dick of, you know, shitty brands that no one needs. That's something that further extends your clout. Like selling yeah, out used 100%. to be the most disgusting thing. Like, you know, back in the day when Jay Leno was peddling fucking Doritos um, or like, <laughs> you know, other people, like it was just disgusting, man. You'd see them as like corporate vermin and like, you know, the worst possible sycophant, um, mm. you know, like worse than Mr. Smithers, <laughs> just <a> disgusting, <laughs> like little, uh. oh God, I'm trying to think of the right analogy for it, but you know it's just like um just like a a morally emaciated white guy like (laughs) fangs out trying to like you just imagine jay leno and like bdsm gear like you know basically on the floor i'm gonna stop you i'm gonna stop you right there (laughs) jay leno in bdsm gear is the artwork for this episode Oh, it's sick. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck. I'll make it so. Yeah, yeah, or something similar. I already have the picture um, in my mind. I know exactly oh, what I'm going to do. Fucking um, perfect. You know, but like, it was disgusting, man. And now it's like celebrated. It just goes yeah. to show how subversive I think advertising is now. That they've totally infected everyone. And they've finally gone to the point that they don't need to get Jay Leno to mm. fucking suck dick like people just that's really interesting people line up and apply to suck dick and it's fucking it's virtuous that's so true nothing there's nothing um, wrong with sucking dick irl you know i, I mean like it's yeah, a metaphor no. just just a shout out to, <laughs> yeah. to the dick suckers of the podcast like <laughs> yeah 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 no um <laughs> sucking dick i'd imagine is a really rewarding task yeah um, yeah yeah it's dope shout out to that but uh you know as an as a way to like enrich yourself um like being a you know selling out to advertisers to peddle crap that nobody needs should never it's be really virtuous. it's really interesting that you sort of i guess brought us along this line of inquiry or discussion because <laughs> yeah in the marshall silence article that you mentioned earlier the original affluent society is its name um they talk about the way that in hunter-gatherer societies, the the average sort of worker or collector of food who hunts or forages works an average of about three to four hours a day. And the rest is spent relaxing or leisure time, um, you know, hanging out with your family and tribe or hosting other tribes from other camps yeah. uh, or dancing or making primitive art um, because in terms of materials, they don't really have or need the tools to make any more advanced sort of art or products for fun. Yeah. And I, I guess what you were talking about as an end point, if you think about between a hunter-gatherer society and where we are now is – this point where people were quite happy to to work less and barely get by financially as long as they have this sort of like alternate social media market for like their emotional validation yeah so if you fill in the space between those two points like in that article they describe how it's debatable whether or not uh, agriculture or sophisticated culture came first and necessitated the other. Mm. But essentially, like, culture produced a need for more material goods or vice versa, um, which yeah. drained us of all of our free time. We got to this point where culture eventually basically transformed into, like, these 
vampire-esque sort of needs and thirsts and hungers in us all. Yeah. And now those have become so great that we're actually dropping the sort of like pursuit of optimal production to now put that aside, work a bit less, but suck the blood of others and these like corporations and peddle their products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's I, it's a chicken and egg problem, um, but it's been around forever. And I, I find that entire question really interesting because one can imagine, you know, back in the time when all we did was hunt big game and fuck and I don't know what else you'd do. <laughs> Make yeah. fucking cave paintings and assumedly get wasted on like whatever. Was yeah, around. like fermented berries and shit. Um, fucking sounds so lit, honestly. That... Um, that chicken or the egg puzzle reminded me of something I read about recently and I've just quickly pulled up the Wikipedia article for it for lack of a better source since I wasn't prepared Yeah. about this uh, archaeological site in Turkey uh, called uh, Gobekli Tepe yeah. or c- colloquially named as Potbelly Hill, which seems weird to me. <laughs> yeah. But it's this site that's been found in like the southeast of Turkey, kind of near the Syrian border which is sort of like the most convincing evidence now that religion existed before settlements and that sort of sedentary lifestyles and settlements and agriculture were a result of religion and the need to like supply and uphold sort of um, religious facilities and institutions. And this place like dates back to like 12,000 years old. I think 12,000 BC rather. And um, it's this site on a hill where there is, is like a temple, but there's a lot of evidence of tribes gathering um, from the nearby areas. So people who um, were likely hunter gatherers or maybe sort of like very primitive agrarian societies who would gather at this place, which eventually sort of became so commonly visited that it turned into a permanent settlement and is sort of like the origin of a fixed. Yeah, settlement or village or whatever you want to call it. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes. It's quite interesting. And it's like, it's really extensive and pretty remarkably preserved. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where I was going with that, but I thought it was just sort of interesting to mention. Yeah, yeah. So talk of accelerationism that you mentioned earlier is uh, quite interesting in terms of these people sort of trying to like accelerate the the end of days. So I or, you know. came across accelerationism um, on like a fairly obscure uh, message board somewhere. I can't remember where, you know, just some offsuit of one of the chans, I think, or something like that, or some mm-hmm. weird literary board. Anyway, it doesn't really matter where I found it. I found it and it was by this guy called Nick Land, who had produced um, the series of writings uh, associated with the... Fuck, I'm going to Google this right now because... It's got really I'm doing the exact yeah, same the cybernetic thing. <laughs> culture research unit um, that Fuck was me. What is... started at Warwick University, England. So Nick Land was like some professor, uh, professor of philosophy, I think. And he was pretty fucking mental. Like he used to give talks where he would just play jungle music and start like croaking like a frog. And part of it was meant to be like the satirical, satirical take on social sciences and you know, doing sort of uh, bizarre acts and calling it theory and everything like that. But he also produced yeah, right. this entire series of writing on accelerationism and how um, it's beyond, basically, no matter what we're doing, we're accelerating to this 
point of either transcendence or collapse and there's nothing you can really do about it um, because you can't mm. stop progress. People are always going to optimize and optimize and optimize to the point that, you know, um, capital will <laughs> road away. Nothing is left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. And that was co-opted by like a lot of white supremacists. Maybe one of the most relevant to mention would be uh, the Christchurch terrorist who shot the mosque up. Um, yeah. Who- what was that motherfucker's name again? Brenton Tarrant. Right. Um, the, I, I just suddenly remember now that the media engaged in that thing where they refused to use his name, right? Yeah. Um, that's yeah. why Which was his name good. doesn't spring to mind. Yeah, I yeah. like that as well, actually. Yeah. Um, because yeah. It, it's done a pretty effective job of sort of erasing him from history. Yeah, he's pretty, um, pretty much been forgotten. Uh, yeah, which is really weird. Yeah. Um, actually, in fact, I don't think you and I have ever spoken about that whole episode in Christchurch, which is weird. We should sometime, maybe not now, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. another anyway, time. Well, he, um, he talked about his actions being a... Um, you know, form of accelerationism to bring on riots and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right. Um, but That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So the CCRU basically talked a lot about this and Nick Land was, he's a fucking weird character. And that's sort of where I first came across it. But it's, I think it definitely is part of the sentiment where people would rather burn the America to the ground than keep it going the way it is, you know? And that's sort of like part of the movement against biden and shit and i i don't know if we have the same thing in australia and new zealand partly because i think like tradies do so well here there is a lot of mobility here you can drop out of school at 16 you can become yeah. a tradie and you can easily enter into like you know a very good high standard of living as opposed to the states where i don't know if that mobility exists to the same degree yeah you're right i think in a weird way i think the states has also also been uh, maybe a victim of its own success in the sense that its economic glory days were so profound and kind of like just colossal that now anything less than that is such a stark contrast. Yeah. So like when people are left behind, they're left behind in a really bad way. Whereas I think Australia and New Zealand didn't experience quite the same boom. Now, um, and they had that thing where it's like the American dream was anyone could make it. And exactly right. The case now, but yeah, back mm. in the day, there's incredible stories. I read one about this guy. He was the janitor at like um, some major like chip manufacturer. Like they made potato chips. Yeah, um, right. And he had this home recipe of like his own, like some Mexican potato chip style of thing. I don't know what the fuck it was, but he basically took that to one of the senior CEO, like the senior CEO or the fucking CEO or something like that. Mm. And they basically said, Dan, these chips are sweet. Let's launch a couple of them in like this, um, you know, neighborhood and see how they do. And they did really well. And then he became like a senior VP at this company. And he rose from being a janitor to being like a major influence. And that was sort of like the archetypal American story. There's so many stories Mm. where it's just like, you know, someone was dirt fucking poor and just rose to being like a colossal influence within American society. Probably not. Do you think, do you think maybe a part of the reason that that's come to an end is that the sort of manufacturing of scarcity has been so successful that now those people who occupy the positions in the top 40% can't risk introducing new people to the fold. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a natural human behavior where people just want to get the riffraff out and they want to feel Mm. special. You know, there's more people out there who are distrustful and want to gate their communities, um, 
either literally or metaphorically that they would rather keep people out from being successful like institutions like harvard you know there's this yeah, notion course. that you have to be intelligent to get there and it's not true they'll have their <laughs> iq test yeah yeah but they'll have the <laughs> test to, to barricade everyone there was a book yeah. called the mismeasure of man that goes into detail about the nonsense of the iq test um and more recently Nassim Taleb has come out with a large piece describing IQ tests as pseudoscientific swindle um, and largely don't really test anything other than kind of like compliance and ability to like rote learn and stuff. Um, yeah, right. And I think institutions like that make money by building gates and keeping people out, you know. Of course, and because you need to uh, maintain the demand, right? Yeah. Like totally. there needs, needs to be uh, less places available than people that want to have a place. Yeah. And what's weird yeah. is like these fucking PMC classes like even disparage stories of people who have done well from poor backgrounds, you know? Like the Goya Foods thing was so fucking right. outrageous. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're talking about a force for good and you're hating on it because of like they're not – they're bankrupt in the eyes of – of that entire liberal elite class because they don't conform to the standards and are therefore like seen as uh you know impoverished rednecks mm. you don't understand yeah. yeah you know we we're talking about accelerationism before we um quickly had a little uh yeah. intermission there the acceleration of desire is probably more pertinent to the conversation um, yeah right and the optimization of desire and status and how those are the new currencies i think is probably something more relevant than the collapse and maybe they like go hand in hand but it definitely feels like a shift towards that is the new thing sorry to interrupt mm. anyway no no don't be sorry at all <laughs> yeah but speaking of bringing about collapse i was reading an article about these neo-nazis in germany and over the past couple of years authorities or the government have really started to notice that like the police force, the army and other institutions and departments of government have, I guess, not been infiltrated by, but are home to a lot of like hardcore right-wing extremists. And there are like, there have been whole army units that have been like officially disbanded because they had like too many of these dudes in there that shared these neo-Nazi ideals and like had too high of a level of organization and like capacity to just like project lethality essentially. Yeah. And like this was a New York Times article that I read and they were, this one looked specifically at this little cell called uh, Northern Cross, um, which was just started in like these, I think it was started on an online forum for military veterans. Oh, yeah. And it basically gained popularity in sort of like 2016 when the European refugee crisis was really prominent in the media. And something like, two, yeah, something like 2 million Syrian and, you know, Afghani, Iraqi refugees were basically at Germany's border, just like, hey, we're here. And then all these guys kicked up a fuss. And essentially, like, it's been revealed following like a really long investigation that these guys had plans for what they called like day X where some sort of just like vague and unspecified event occurs, which creates like a power vacuum or 
removes enough structure from society that they can essentially step in, purge who they see as threats to like stability, and then assume power, which is like literally Hitler-esque. Like that's <laughs> totally within the realm of possibility, though. Oh yeah, it is. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. um, and these these dudes have, or I shouldn't say these dudes because I think it was like. There was one more extreme cell within them who had these kind of more advanced ideas. Um, and they had like a dossier, which was a list of political enemies um, on the left who they were going to have to like neutralize in the event that this day came apart, came about. And they had like a little like military camp and rendezvous point set up in the woods at this like abandoned old facility. They had like enough supplies ready to last them a hundred days with like seventy five thousand rounds of ammunition. They had started ordering body bags for like Jeez. the disposal of their enemies. And um, it, is it um, what's the name of that chemical that uh, breaks down organic matter? Is it lime uh, that you can dispose of bodies with? I think so. Yeah, yeah. or lime, lime something or other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna quickly Google lime body disposal. <laughs> Um, <laughs> from memory of like breaking bad and shit i think so um yeah it is lime yeah um that's weird so i feel like it know. should be called something more intense <laughs> when you're disposing um, of that body get some lime yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm just gonna have a sip on this um lovely that's cool it's good a nutritional ASMR. supplement yeah people love that stuff now mm. How did that sound on your end? Good, man. I heard it go right down your throat. Mm. I'll like boost oh, nice. the volume on the recording while I'm, when I'm editing <laughs> for that part as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this um, sort of revelation occurred. And then they realized something slightly more troubling. That was the fact that the very institutions who are meant to police this kind of stuff were actually being obstructed by people who shared these ideas. So, like, the courts and the police system aren't actually operating as efficiently as they need to now because there are people within them sort of intentionally doing shitty jobs or, like, sabotaging them in a really, like, indirect or shitty way. So, yeah, I thought that was quite interesting. That is fascinating. I mean, that's all yeah. kind of... At the moment, they're fringe groups, right? Yeah, They're definitely. people on the fringe of society, but they're becoming more... Like, I notice it more, you know? Like, I'm noticing yeah, 100%. more and more Antifa radicals i'm noticing more and more like um like white supremacist radicals and it starts to slowly seem to becoming like more mainstream so yeah i think the narrative of accelerationism is live and well in the west um mm. maybe pockets of it in australia new zealand uh probably you know we have it like enough like it's just the you know bulk of the population seems to be contented enough here to just sort of like yeah. ride the new prestige economies um, and <laughs> attention economies that may lead to our eventual, you know, position of, I don't know if that does lead to collapse or not, but it certainly leads to nowhere good. <laughs> well, it'll be the ultimate test, right? When yeah. we all become so obsessed and narcissistic that we no longer produce at what capitalists say is like the necessary level, then maybe shit will hit the fan and we'll finally figure out if we all need to be working or not. Yeah, pretty much. But, I, you know, you're not you specifically, but like the general you're um, narcissism is something that can be profited off now because it's you browsing through making sure you've got enough likes on your latest picture and shit like that is 
something that is generating money. Um, oh, yeah. And attention scoring has become like, you know, very profitable uh, <laughs> for people to engage in. Hopefully mm-hmm. it does lead to this bountiful new world of not working, but it won't. You know it won't. No, I'm sure it won't. <laughs> you know, I think the, uh, uh, the only way to like get there is to relinquish your own desires ultimately. Because I think you can, most people could probably enter this like true freedom from needing to work if you are comfortable living a very rough existence um there was mm, an yeah. article that a woman who's homeless wrote on hacker news which is this you know publication for general just some really cool website that you use <laughs> it's so <laughs> not it's so, it's just sort of tech wankers eh? like all yeah. trying to like no, that's out what i mean each other yeah yeah. Um, but there's this, it was really interesting. This, this homeless woman wrote on there on how she, um, is lives on a dollar 24 a day in the States or something like that. Um, Fuck. but she is completely free and chooses her own, um, existence and not her own existence. She chooses what to do every single day. And she says that she has the same affluence of, uh, the bulk of the modern rich. She can, access most of what they have um and the differences within her abode which does not exist but like yeah yeah ultimately it got me thinking you know and there's another really interesting podcast put out by this guy called navel uh navel ravikant um who's worth some two billion dollars or something he started yeah like, okay site and he's just basically like a tech guru and he has this portion in his podcast uh where he talks about the fact that like the rich are substantially um, like have less access than they ever had to gated things. So mm. back in the day, you might have had a DVD collection that spans, you know, like <laughs> you know every possible niche director. Whereas nowadays, uh, Pirate Bay has the best yeah, collection, that shit and it's matter. available to yeah. everyone. And he says, "There's yeah. no." One of the things that struck me is like, "There's no." He said, "There's no Netflix for rich people." There's nothing that I have access to that, you know, most people fundamentally don't. The only real thing is maybe that I can go to um, Sundance Film Festival and watch a bunch of crap documentaries. But, you know, that's status signaling ultimately, and it doesn't really mean much. And so you've never really been in a greater time in terms of access to things, Mm. you know. And it's like even the price of food has plummeted to the point that um, you can sustain yourself reasonably well on very little uh you know and be healthy and everything so yeah the idea of diminishing returns on your sort of effort and investments in terms of how you behave as a well-off person or rich person is quite interesting because in the Marshall Silence article talking about the hunter-gatherer society and another thing they say is um that in terms of maximizing their sort of economic output or maximizing returns on their uh energy invested they basically choose not to after they've fed themselves because they have to stray further from their camp to collect less food sort of thing. So like, Mm. you know, if you get everything within a one kilometer radius of you, basically to get any more than you need, you have to walk an extra kilometer and it's just not worth it. You're better off to just like go to the next place, sit down and then just like hang out for a week, eat everything within a kilometer and leave again. Yeah. And it's sort of similar, right? Yeah, it is. 
all yeah. of the people that I call a friend <laughs> has largely been through the process lately and come out the other side where they've gone on to sort of work at their respective jobs, make money, you know, and fundamentally realize that they don't, their money doesn't buy them much after a certain point. Um, especially nowadays where you, you know, there's like a reasonable level of mobility um, and a lot of people can sort of access whether it's 80, 90 plus thousand dollars a year or whatever, within a few years of working at any sort of standard institution and fundamentally come out the other side and realize that they're, you're not getting anything other than maybe a nicer room at the end of the day. Mm. And it's like, that doesn't give you much happiness at all. There's no satisfaction within that, you know, it's just kind of like yeah. bleak and empty. And I think you either sort of look at that and you can extrapolate out that uh, there's no fucking point into like, pursuing more material shit or you you know go the other way and say well fuck i'm gonna have to optimize now to feel like i'm doing something um yeah and start grabbing as many likes as i can or to like optimize for something else because we're theoretically so materially wealthy now as a collective you know mm -hmm. which is the point i think it's a really fascinating time where you can either totally go into the hunter gatherer situation where you're kind of like well my needs is fulfilled um and i'm kind of like happy and content um and you know there's nothing materially that i can get that's really going to increase that um which is perhaps the sentiment back when we were just hunting fucking like woolly mammoths and shit that yeah i could go like an extra kilometer to get like another fucking kg of meat but I yeah really more so food much. than i need but yeah, yeah yeah or you could go and continue to like optimize further and further down this dark hole of desire that's ultimately not going to end anywhere other than increasingly need uh to you know, do either more outrageous shit or something to like reach the the same level of satisfaction. There's been a weird transition of a lot of influencers going from like being an influencer to like opening up like an OnlyFans or um, you know doing something frankly gnarly. Like you see all the gross YouTube influencers who just do progressively more disgusting shit. OnlyFans <laughs> is really interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah. Have you ever just like out of curiosity, like subscribed to one by, by any chance? No, I haven't. I'm just curious to know what the experience was like. Um, so how do I keep the detail? So I'm <laughs> basically someone I know, knows someone who does have an OnlyFans. Um, yeah, right. So I've seen like, you know, they show me their account and everything. Uh, and it's fucking so sad, bro. It's just like, just like, you know, I know that it's super not woke to um, be stoked on everyone's decision to make money however they choose to. But mm. this is sad. If you're selling pictures of your ass for like 10 bucks, you know, online, <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> man, your dignity, yeah. like, I don't know. Talk about the oversaturation of a market, right? It's like trying to get jobs doing yeah. doing copywriting on freelancer.com or something there's just like yeah. five hundred thousand indian dudes who will do it for like a dollar yeah, yeah and yeah. it's like what like what like attractive girls have become just like marginally valuable products yeah. that they're yeah, willing yeah. to sell for just like a pittance yeah the um, cost of your ass is like and you, you it's know, never been lower <laughs> It's a great time to be a coomer, eh? Like, if you're addicted Fucking to fapping, a. then this is, like, 
the <laughs> golden timeline where like yeah. moral standards have declined so far that you can you know anyone is now like able to post their ass without social mm. um you know exclusion <laughs> it's the one part of modern society where the barrier to entry has like basically become non-existent yeah yeah totally there's um, <laughs> a few women who've like easily transitioned from doing porn to just having like very respected mainstream careers with no sort of overlap so uh you know great <laughs> but i find the whole yeah. thing fucking depressing i think it's sad i don't think you should you know boomer damon is like a little bit little bit sad at the prospect of it hmm. yeah I, I don't know how to feel about it because i do i think there are genuine genuinely people around who find value in having an only fans account or whatever and these women probably really enjoy doing it and it's probably lucrative in terms of making an income for themselves so like i suppose in that sense it's good yeah but i think i find it sadder that people subscribe to it yeah particularly so like what makes it weird to me right is that you can watch all the porn in the world you want for free but these people feel the need to pay a pittance per month or whatever it is to sort of feel the substitute of some connection to a person yeah that's like i think they think yeah. they're tapping into this sort of exclusive uh area of uh, some sort of like weird closeness or intimacy to a woman yeah it's the whole e-girl phenomenon you know yeah 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 i mean yeah people maybe are, that's it's it's a market it's a yeah it's true i think the only reason you'd pay for porn is like you're fucking lonely and you want someone to like you know reach out to you you want connection with another person and mm. this kind of offers the ultimate market in terms of like you can now talk to your favorite either scantily clad or totally nude woman you can chat to mm. and she can listen to your feelings <laughs> and they're, yeah. they're good business it is it, it's a good point Wh which one is sadder i don't know um i feel like the coomers you... lead a pretty sad existence though like if you're sitting around jerking off every day um and you know blowing your hard-earned cash on like someone who you're just like another fucking weird screen name to that's pretty sad yeah, that is pretty fucking sad. Um, <laughs> fuck. Um, do you think? Do you think it's sadder to like theoretically? Because I'm sure this doesn't exist quite yet, but I'm sure it will within you know ten years. Do you think it's sadder to subscribe to an OnlyFans account or to an AI equivalent? Would subscribe to an AI equivalent? Yeah. So say Did you, you have hear the choice between. Oh fuck! Did I? Okay, there. <laughs> There was this outrage. Um, I saw this, like, it was another one of those, like, bizarre little stories that I think, like, got, like, a little bit of press, kind of like the Black Lives Matter thing, <clears throat> but not, like, a huge yeah, amount right. of press, uh, where this guy had put on a green suit and started overlaying. Oh, yes, I get this. Yeah. yeah. You told me about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't have interrupted you, though. You should still no, to, briefly explain the, it to for anyone audience, who hasn't heard. Um, this yeah. guy, like, put on a green suit and overlaid uh, this anime girl on top of him, like, fucking dancing around, taking his clothes off and shit. And it, like, the cam girl society or group or whatever collective this fucking takes form in, um, <laughs> <laughs> got, like, really pissed off and started posting all this shit on Twitter about how unfair it is um, that people can do this and how they, you know, 
slave away online dildos and shit and this fucking <laughs> assumedly like neck bearded dude kid just uh, walk in and make tons of money and it was like he's not so respecting their profession yeah oh it's just yeah it's, they're luddites though bro like they're just they're fucking luddites against the eventual wave of like anime ai you know taking their jobs and fulfilling the endless loneliness of um yeah. the disaffected masses do you think that like when some capitalist produces like the perfect robot prostitute, then like hookers will unionize? They already are unionized in in um, New Zealand. There's True. A, there's a prostitute collective. I was working on a on a project where we had to like um, like do a lot of work around <laughs> sex worker employment rights and shit. Um, right. As an aside. So, <laughs> uh, but they probably will. I think they'll be pretty pissed and it's going to happen. Like those sex bots mm. look pretty fucking realistic. Um, I think it's going to be a little sadder though. I don't, I highly doubt that the masses are going to fork out for uh, an actual sex bot to keep in their house. Like a, a few people will um, and probably already are, but shit like Replica. Wait, have you played with Replica? No. It's this AI chat bot that, um, like just you can have conversations with it's meant to be like your best friend in your pocket right um is it an app yep yep check it out uh yeah i'll download that i think it's fucking hilarious it asks i've taken screenshots of the questions that it asks and i sent it to um my current girlfriend and my ex-girlfriend when we were together and both like send nudes question mark (laughs) no well they're (laughs) they're personal enough questions that like both it was kind of like a weird cheering test where i wanted to see if they were like going to get jealous or not um and i didn't tell mm. them what it was and both of them sure enough were like who the fuck are you talking to yeah um, right <laughs> <laughs> so i think like that's probably going to be the major thing you're just going to chat to this fucking like thing uh this app already can like schedule phone calls with you and you can like chat to it on the phone um and it'll be like oh wow hey how's your day you doing stuff oh i was thinking about you whoa yeah uh and that's probably what people are going to be doing and there's screenshots that you can find on reddit where you can like sext it and shit um so you know Hmm. people are probably just going to jerk off over like some little anime hologram or yeah because apparently the fucking bulk of people are like into anime now that happened i don't know something that that i've like (laughs) something that i've thought about in the past is like people participating in like vr orgies yeah. So like you go to like someone's house and you you're all like fat middle-aged people but you're just like put on put on an Oculus Rift and then you're just like in this like mansion fucking like hot people. Yeah. Um, oh dude. So you just like feel the same sensations but like you're you're like on Epstein's island or some shit. That's so fucking funny. Um, and like you could probably charge a lot for that service. Holy I think. shit. Have you ever seen VR porn? No, I don't. I mean, yeah. How does that even work? Do you just put it on and like you're getting fucked by someone or something? <laughs> like, I don't know what. Um. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I like checked it out once. So you can get like Google Cardboard or whatever, and it's like twenty bucks, and you can yeah. um, put it on and then look around, and it's like a point of view <laughs> experience. 
Uh, um, so you can either like, like just imagining. Yeah, man. Yeah, no, that's totally it. Um, it's so I fucking recommend funny. checking it out if you're like interested at all. It's fucking hilarious. You can be like, uh, you can fulfill that fantasy. So you saying that, and the fact that I've like, you know, <laughs> I've like seen that point of view, it totally is gonna happen. Definitely. Like, oh, that's so fucking funny. Because <laughs> like, you could just have like your headset in your room and just do like people could fulfill whatever like twisted shit they can't do in public yeah 100%. like in vr like wow i'm not even yeah that's fucking nuts yeah um <laughs> fuck humans suck <laughs> we're, the wor- we're the worst all of this tech like yeah. you know all of this amazing technology and so much of it goes <laughs> towards jerking so off. much of it is debauchery yeah <laughs> the bulk of it man i feel like you know our advancement <laughs> it's only ever been an expression of our core desire and if you look at like the breakdown of the economy and where money goes and you see like the fat amount of r&d going towards like porn companies and everything it just tells you so much about like what we really want you know Mm. it's not world peace it's jerking off in vr fuck it's man, not even trying to get laid it's just like people just want to fucking yeah off. i just want the, <laughs> the faster more easy alternative to that <laughs> yeah it's just yeah man we're looking for the mcdonald's of fucking <laughs> you know i want it for like i want to feel full <laughs> i don't care if it's nutritious and i want it for like under 20 bucks and i don't yeah, really want to have to talk like, to anyone to get it <laughs> Fucking hell, dude. That is so, so fucking funny. <laughs> anyway, the trad life, that's what it's about. You want to feel good about yourself all the time. Um, yeah. Yeah. You'll get off mm. less, but you'll feel good. <laughs> There's this, like, sort of interesting dynamic I find where I know that what we're talking about isn't quite the same as, like, kink shaming or whatever, but yeah. we're. Uh, there has to be some sort of line in the sand where like you are allowed to be shamed for your kink right it's like people who are into just like being shit on and stuff it's like if you make fun of them then you're like a mean person or whatever now Um, (laughs) yeah yeah and it's like well dude at at a certain point like you're acting like a primate so you sort of open yourself up to that i wonder where that line is like pushed back every year right it fucking is. That's the thing, right? So, like, we're we're preparing ourselves as a society for the VR orgy. Yeah. We're, like, all being groomed to, like, accept that, like, your neighbor likes to, like, fucking beat his wife to a pulp while he, like, blows his load. <laughs> Just so that, like, we can readily receive, like, Satan's future technology <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh it's so true i'm so not down with it to be honest like i get the whole thing like um they we're meant to be like super open and accepting but if i found yeah. my daughter or son or whatever gender you know my offspring may be like just shitting on themselves i would be pretty <laughs> sad i would take them and give them yeah them you would be right to. yeah man um, i don't want to fucking see that i want someone who respects themselves mm-hmm. and i just think like like ultimately at the core of this there has to come a point i okay i used to listen to a shitload of dan savage and his podcasts and he's like mr accepting kinks and um everything when i was younger i was really all about it and i thought like dan savage was talking about like how you know you can't control what you're into and and you just sort of got to like run with it and 
um you know you ultimately have to decide whether it's fantasy or not but kink shaming's bad and all forms blah 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 and i've totally come like fucking around on that and thought actually i think a lot of stuff can be attributed to a fundamental lack of self-esteem and that it's not good <laughs> to fucking like promote that like if you get off on something that is fundamentally like about you being a pile of human crap or a human yeah. toilet to some, you know, it's just, it's not good. It's, and yeah. it actually is a bad thing for you and everyone. Um, um, there's also like a double standard as well, right? Because it's like, I'm allowed to like what I want, but as soon as you say that, like you think someone's a creep for wanting to like have a woman shit in their mouth, like you're suddenly not allowed to like just have a thought about that. It's kind of like, yeah. well, like shouldn't I just be allowed to be repulsed? Like that's kind of yeah. a freedom that I should have, right? Like I'm allowed to not enjoy the sight of like my dog taking a shit in front of me. So yeah. like I should also be able to not enjoy the thought of you being shat on by a hooker. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like that doesn't make me a fucking monster or a bad person. <laughs> like Whoa. you're the one wanting yeah whatever the first rule for me has always been consensual acts between consenting adults you know oh well yeah um and that um, is always gonna take precedent over my like you know how weird i find people being shit on you know like if you yeah. fundamentally it's like the same thing man when it comes down to like most <laughs> movements that i don't understand like, uh, like i don't really believe like obesity is something that is like healthy um and i will stick to that but ultimately mm. if you want to be fat like go ahead i don't fucking care at the end of the day it kind of comes down to like most of these issues is that um the ones that i feel strongly enough to have any opinion on um, not that i feel strongly about fat people at all i fucking i all, i really don't i don't care um it doesn't affect me or my life uh you know there's people yeah. that i love who are unhealthy that i wish were healthier but that's kind of it but mm. if, if you really want to do it like go do it i don't fucking care but i still hold my own opinions on it yeah right you know like I mean? you can still fail away about it as long as you don't like obstruct someone from doing what makes them happy yeah um so it's coming to that time of the podcast again um we've reached our threshold for fecal talk <laughs> totally um, totally um, and uh i don't i don't even remember how we got there i kind of regret the whole thing i feel dirty and I have, we haven't <laughs> even done anything uh, but that's okay um well, we'll wrap, wrap it up, up um with a couple quick hits or are we pushing our time frames here yeah long? we're probably pushing our time frame a little bit um so i think we should <laughs> we, we should leave it yeah and that sounds good if Michael Hudson, if you make it to the end of this, as a quick thing, I just want to say I watched The Hunt and it was fucking epic and I recommend other people to as well, um, uh, especially cool. with regards to this entire conversation on liberal elites and the, uh, you know, the deplorables. Um, fuck, it, was, it actually was a really good movie and shout out to fucking Blumhouse Productions for capitalizing on like the division and senseless um, anger. You know, like that's, yeah, good on you. All right. All fuck right. yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Damon, for being fucking great to talk to and for making me laugh all the time. Oh, thank you, um, Damon. This was a great 10th episode. Um, follow us on instagram at modern guilt pod email us modern guilt pod at gmail.com you can visit our subreddit modern uh, modern underscore guilt slash r 
Help liven it up. R slash modern underscore guilt, but whatever. Yeah. Um, fuck it. All right. Peace. That's a wrap. Thank you.